The Blunt Post with Vic. Good morning and welcome to The Blunt Post with Vic. I am your host, Vic Jaramie, the editor and publisher of The Blunt Post. The Blunt Post with Vic is a show that covers breaking and headline news, offers analysis, commentary, and I interview high-profile public figures. Uh, in each show, I also highlight an exceptional organization, company, nonprofit, or even an individual that does great work in the community. After headlines today, I have an interview with Congressman Jim Costa from California San Joaquin Valley, including Fresno. Supposing we hit the body with a tremendous, uh, whether it's ultraviolet or just very powerful light, and I think you said that hasn't been checked, but you're going to test it. And then I said, supposing you brought the light inside the body, you can, which you can do either through the skin or uh, in some other way. And I think you said you're going to test that, too. Sounds interesting. We'll the right, folks who right. And then I see the disinfectant, where it knocks it out in a minute, one minute. And is there a way we can do something like that uh, by injection inside or, or almost a cleaning? Because you see it gets on the lungs, and it does a tremendous number of the lungs. So it would be interesting to check that. So that you're going to have to use medical doctors with. But it sounds, it sounds interesting to me. No, I was asking a question sarcastically to reporters like you, just to see what would happen. But I was asking a sarcastic and a very sarcastic question to the reporters in the room about disinfectant on the inside. But it does kill it, and it would kill it on the hands, and that would make things much better. That was done in the form of a sarcastic question to the reporters. So let me go over some numbers, uh, first globally and then the U.S. in terms of uh, COVID-19. Globally, there have been 2,920,660 confirmed infected with COVID-19, 203,622 have died, and 829,075 have recovered. Those were the numbers globally. As far as the U.S., there have been 975,660 confirmed infected, 55,024 have died, 108,625 have recovered. As far as California, 41,338 have tested positive for COVID-19 and 1,651 persons have died. We do not have numbers of recovery in California. Uh, once again, as always, the three sources that I rely on and I trust for numbers and latest updates uh, are the CDC, CDC's uh, uh, website, the World Health Organization, and as well as Johns Hopkins University. So let's look at some headline news and uh, see what people are talking about across the country and the globe. Starting with Donald Trump's latest fiasco, 
his suggestion to use disinfectants against COVID-19. Ever since he's made that statement during a press briefing, he has changed his tune and he has changed his story as to why he said it, how he said it, and uh, of course, blame everyone else but himself. He said that he said it sarcastically. There's no evidence of that. He looked very serious when he said it at the press briefing. And yesterday, his staff started to blame the easiest target, which is the press, and that the press got it wrong and started speculating. Well, you can't lie on a video. I mean, people, all people have to do is to watch the video during the press briefing and the way he said it and how he said it to know that he actually meant it. And I, I don't even want to go into the absurdity of how we have a commander-in-chief that's going to suggest something like that when he has the best infectious diseases specialists and other experts um, in his circle if he uses them and let them talk. So that's been the last, the sort of the last absurdity coming out of the White House. Uh, even governors have been complaining that their states have had a lot of calls uh, people going into emergency rooms because of that, because they've tried to use disinfectants against COVID-19. Over the weekend, speculation has started that the leader of North Korea, Kim Jong-un, has been gravely ill following a heart surgery, and um, a delegation of doctors and specialists have gone from China to North Korea to treat him. But this is something that's being denied uh, across the board as well as by South Korea. Uh, South Korea insists that it's business as usual, so that remains to be seen. COVID-19 has brought a lot up to the light, including how aid and monies and federal funds are being distributed, uh, as well as AIDS. And last week, New York Governor Cuomo was very blunt about this uh, in response to Senator Mitch McConnell uh, by saying that the state of New York puts in to the national, the federal pool of monies astronomically more than the state of Kentucky. But somehow the state of Kentucky per capita has received far more aid than the state of New York. So it makes you wonder you know, why Senator McConnell is always defending our indefensible president. Well, speaking of fairness, we have a story about Ashford Inc., which is a large hotel conglomerate. Ashford Inc. has received more federal aid in terms of PPP loans, the small business loans, than any other company. And its president, Monty Bennett, uh, said that he will not be giving any of the monies back. Now, here's the interesting thing. Ashford Inc laid off 95% of their workforce. So, you know, one has to wonder why they would receive such a large um, amount of money, 60 million uh, to one company out of Texas. The White House senior advisor, Kevin Hassett, gave a very sobering report on the economy, despite uh, Donald Trump's insistence on a quick recovery. He said, we're going to be looking at an unemployment rate that approaches rates that we saw during the Great Depression, he said. During the Great Recession, remember that was the financial crisis around 2008, that we lost 8.7 million jobs in the whole thing. 
right now we're losing that many jobs every 10 days. So the lift, the economic lift for the policymakers is an extraordinary one, he said. This is uh, Kevin Hassett, White House's senior advisor. As of now, roughly 26 million people have filed for unemployment benefits in the U.S. since the outbreak of coronavirus. And economics forecasting that unemployment rate, as we are, is about 20% this month. The Great Depression, for comparison, saw an unemployment peak around 25% in 1933, and we are now at 20%. Uh, Kevin Hassett also said, make no mistake, it's a really grave situation. Let's get blunt. Let's get blunt. Let's get blunt. So, what I want to get blunt about today is not a big secret or something that hasn't been talked about, but it's important because it's, there are two topics that are the most important right now. One is obviously COVID-19 and what it's doing to the world, to the U.S., to people and our economy. And the second one is the upcoming election. In terms of COVID-19, what I'm seeing a lot on social media and from talking to people is that aid is not coming down. It's not trickling down enough. There are so many people that are still waiting for their unemployment after weeks, unsure of if and when that's going to happen. Some have not received their $1,200 stimulus uh, payment. Um, Some have direct deposited in their bank account. Others are still waiting. It's not happening. So many people are disappointed because they uh, they did not qualify or were told that PPP loans uh, are maxed out, uh, banks that did not process it. And uh, those at the bottom up, and I don't just mean uh, homeless folks who should be getting help just as much as anyone else, but as well as working class people and middle class people are just not getting the help. And um, I know that a lot of our elected officials locally, state level, our governors are fighting for that and are trying to see that that happens. And I'm hoping that beyond the $2 trillion stimulus package that was passed, that there will be others that's going to help people. Because looking at the unemployment and looking at what the economy is going to look like If people aren't helped, we're going to see very disastrous results. Just any, you know, any one of you, I'm sure listening, can just go on any social media and see this happening in real time. And the second thing is the upcoming election. There's so much um, up in the air about it. We don't know what's happening. But there's one thing that I do know, and that's regardless of who my first choice was as a Democratic nominee, I'm going to be voting for Vice President Biden, no matter what, because we are in such a disastrous era in this country. And if just the thought of having uh, Donald Trump as president for another four years is unfathomable. So talking to a friend um, a few days ago who said that he wasn't happy that uh, Senator Sanders, who I also Um, like very much, 
wasn't going to be the nominee, and he said that he might just sit it out. So I tried to explain to him that sitting out would be a vote for Donald Trump, and he uh, wanted to argue that it wasn't, and of course I know when to just um, know that I can't change someone's mind uh, beyond just telling them and explaining to them. So it's just so important that we really don't let the momentum drop and we support Vice President Biden. And November is not that far out, uh, regardless of what's coming up for us in the next few months. That's probably going to be the most important election of our lifetime. So just wanted to Remain blunt and get blunt about that. Let's get blunt. Also last week, uh, Governor Newsom outlined six critical indicators that the state of California will consider before modifying the stay-at-home order and other COVID-19 interventions. Let's take a listen. Good afternoon. About a week ago, we put out a roadmap uh, that would inform us uh, around our recovery. We laid out six specific indicators uh, that would guide our decision-making based upon health, science, real data, not politics, not pressure. Uh, those indicators uh, created a framework for decision-making uh, that we committed to update you on uh, on a weekly basis. Uh, today, we will update you on uh, those six key indicators that are informing our decision-making as it relates to augmenting and modifying our stay-at-home order, and we'll dive deep uh, into one of those indicators, specifically on the area of testing, uh, tracking, tracing, isolation, and quarantine. And I wish I could prescribe a specific date to say, well, we can turn out the light switch and go back to normalcy. Uh, we have tried to make it crystal clear uh, that there is no light switch and there is no date in terms of our capacity uh, to provide the kind of clarity that I know so many of you demand and deserve. The clarity, however, we are providing today is the clarity of indicators that guide that decision making and the transparency around those indicators and that framework uh, that allow us to organize around six specific themes. Uh, we led with that first indicator that we'll talk about more in a moment around testing, uh, tracking, tracing, isolation, and quarantine. Uh, but we included in five additional indicators considerations uh, that we must around making sure we protect the most vulnerable Californians, our seniors in skilled nursing facilities, nursing homes, assisted living centers, uh, those that are vulnerable out on the streets and sidewalk, the homeless, uh, people with compromised immune systems. And that laid out framework for our second indicator, how we protect the most vulnerable. The third indicator was around hospital capacity, healthcare delivery capacity, not only within the hospital system, but the creation and the opportunity uh, to provide alternative care sites and facilities. To do so, not just with physical assets, but to make sure we have the human resources, the people, and the protective gear uh, to make sure that the health workers are healthy and safe at the same time. We had a fourth indicator uh, around the issues of therapeutics. We talk a lot about herd immunity, vaccines. Uh, we in California are uniquely positioned because of the National Institute of Health for the top 10 uh, funded NIH sites are in the state of California. Uh, the issue, obviously, of businesses, issues related to schools and physical facilities, 
uh, is another area uh, that guides our consideration. That's indicator five. Uh, I've made it clear in the past that uh, we won't just open things. We'll have to open things and modify how we conduct our business, how we uh, educate our kids, how we take care uh, of our children. And we talked about floor plans just a week ago and what that looks like in terms of uh, practicing physical distancing as we begin to process the considerations uh, for reopening uh, the economic uh, sectors in our society. And finally, the issue of what happens if we overcompensate. Overtacked. What happens if we get ahead of ourselves and we start to see uh, a surge of new cases, hospitalizations, people in ICUs? What's our capacity to reinstate some of these conditions in hot spots and our capacity uh, to project some confidence in doing so and confidence in you that doing so uh, is appropriate uh, and you'll abide by those rules at the same time? Because we are not lost on us trust is the most important commodity in these conversations. To make sure we're continuing uh, to practice physical distancing, social distancing, and abiding by uh, these guidelines, recommendations, and directives. Uh, but we recognize we're testing that trust every day uh, because of the deep desire for people uh, to begin to know when they can get back to work, when they can uh, go back out and recreate and enjoy beautiful parks and beaches uh, in the state of California. And so today uh, we want to uh, further that conversation. Uh, I want you to know you'll be left wanting if uh, you uh, woke up to this uh, discussion and we're going to hear that we're reopening large sectors of our society. Uh, we're not prepared to do that today. Uh, I very much look forward to making those announcements and we won't wait week to week to make those announcements. When we're ready, we'll make those announcements in real time. But I am ready today to make the following announcement based upon indicator three and the work that we have done together in providing alternative care sites, the incredible work that the hospitals have done to decompress uh, their existing facilities and provide capacity uh, to increase surge and the incredible workforce that's been assembled. Uh, we are in a position today uh, to begin to pull back uh, and lean in uh, by beginning to schedule surgeries once again uh, throughout not only our hospital system, but our broader healthcare delivery system. We recognize any time we begin to toggle back and start opening things back up, we have to look every day at the data, the dashboard of information coming back to make sure that we are adjusting to these uh, new decisions and maintaining an understanding that we need to be vigilant about the intended consequences of these decisions and the unintended consequences of these decisions. So if you are asking yourself, well, how can we guarantee if we're bringing back all of these scheduled surgeries that there'll be availability if we see a second wave or a large surge uh, as we start pulling back that we have capacity? Uh, we are monitoring that and that's foundational in terms, again, of this dimmer, not light switch, that we are advancing in terms of just beginning to shift things but recognize that that shift, that dial could be turned up or the dial can be turned back in real time. But this is uh, for us a significant uh, health first focused announcement today to begin to augment the stay at home order, but to do it uh, with an eye on public health 
and making sure we secure the safety uh, of our healthcare delivery system, and that includes the workers, uh, making sure we always are providing care to the caregivers, keeping our healthcare workers healthy at the same time. So that is uh, the announcement we wanted to make today as it relates to a modification of that stay-at-home order that is determined by adaptive decision-making that is foundationally focused on the indicators giving us that green light, informed by the indicators. Accordingly, uh, we wanted to talk about another indicator, and I referenced a moment ago the issues of testing and tracing, which will be foundational uh, to our broader efforts to get to those other indicators and when retail stores open, uh, when recreational opportunities uh, be, uh, are made available again. The testing becomes foundational in that effort. The tracing becomes foundational uh, in that effort. Uh, I have a number of things I want to add to that discussion. And while it is true that we have provided testing for 465,327 individuals, uh, that number is still inadequate uh, to meet the needs uh, of all of you and to meet our expectations as it relates to our capacity uh, to begin uh, to move even further. Uh, in terms of augmenting and modifying these stay-at-home orders. We have a second commitment uh, that we are making public today uh, to do more, and that's a commitment to make sure all Californians are tested. What I mean by that is not all 40 million of us, uh, would be ideal, but in every part of the state where we're not leaving communities behind. One of the big struggles we have had in the last few weeks of this pandemic is getting to rural and remote parts of this state and getting up testing sites and making them available. One of the other vexing and frustrating things is getting into our urban centers and making sure that we're getting into black and brown communities and doing justice uh, to people that are also underserved, even uh, in these remarkably enriched and robust and well-resourced communities. And so today, uh, we are announcing 86 new sites that will become operational that are focused from a socioeconomic lens, focusing on black and brown communities, and focusing on rural communities. The Blunt Post with Vic. Congressman Jim Costa represents California's 16th Congressional District. He has served the San Joaquin Valley in the U.S. House of Representatives since January of 2005. Before being elected to Congress, Congressman Costa served for 24 years in the California State Legislature. In the 116th Congress, Congressman Costa serves on three powerful House committees, the Committee on Agriculture, the Committee on Natural Resources, and the Committee on Foreign Affairs. Thank you, Congressman. Uh, also, thank you for your time. Thank so, you. So, Congressman, you know, you're obviously in the middle of the boat, if you will, and read every day about what's happening with COVID updates every few hours. But what does it look like from your uh, perspective and where you're at? 
we have the responsibility, uh, first and foremost, to protect the health and safety of all Americans. Uh, simultaneously, we have to deal with the devastating social and economic impacts that are occurring across the country in every town, city, rural areas. Um, we've not seen anything like this, uh, possibly since a combination of the, the uh, depression in terms of economic fear and challenge in terms of World War II. Wow. And that was, that was another thing I was going to ask you since uh, a lot of the areas you cover uh, have to do with agriculture. And it, you know, I was going to ask you, how does it affect your constituents uh, directly, all of this? Well, it affects all of my constituency, but uh, representing the San Joaquin Valley, perhaps the largest uh, agricultural region in the country in terms of uh, volume of agricultural products and the value of those products, uh, we have found uh, our entire food supply chain turned upside down as a result of the uh, strategy to combat this uh, COVID-19 uh, by uh, social distancing that uh, includes um, you know, place and shelter. Right. And that requires, has resulted in the closure of restaurants and schools, which uh, are part of what American agriculture does to provide the food, uh, the nutritional uh, incredible production, that the, the, the production of food that we not only enjoy at America's dinner table every night, uh, but that it goes to our, our restaurants and our schools. And now, while we don't have a food supply problem per se, we have found people fearful uh, purchasing groceries for a month or six weeks that has created shortages uh, in the supply system. Right, that makes sense. And so we're trying to figure out how to adjust to that. At the same time, it's also impacted the prices of these products, whether we're talking about milk products or whether we're talking about fruits and vegetables. And at the same time, we are trying to provide a, a safety net to ensure that farmers, ranchers, dairymen, and women stay in business during this, uh, this pandemic. Yeah. Um, Congressman, are you getting enough help uh, from the federal government that you need for the special needs of your area and your constituents? No. Okay. Uh, we're not getting enough support in terms of the health and safety to the seven hospitals I represent in terms of the uh, personal protective equipment. Uh, in other words, the masks, the gowns, the, um, uh, the things that, you know, physicians, nurses, medical technicians, uh, people at the front lines need. We don't have enough tests to adequately test to determine the impacts, not only to the healthcare workers, but everybody else who's deemed an essential uh, uh, servants, uh, whether we're talking about 
uh, people who work in grocery stores, whether we're talking about um, the farm workers and people who work in processing facilities, packing sheds, are um, uh, letter carriers. I mean, everybody who's deemed essential and is working every day, we, we cannot provide the, uh, the, the necessary testing to really determine the best strategy on how to combat this uh, pandemic that's affecting our country and the entire world. So uh, when we talk about the social and the economic impacts, the um, reality is, is that the initial CARES package uh, did not reach the level of small businesses here in the Valley, uh, nor around the country. Right. Uh, we hope this second measure that we're going to vote on tomorrow, you know, will provide some additional support. But we get calls every day from uh, people who have uh, businesses that employ, you know, four to 12 to 20 people and uh, are, are looking at uh, a looming bankruptcy if they don't have some sort of support. And so, you know, we are, I just cut off the phone and we're already anticipating a fifth piece of legislation, we hope in May, that will deal with some of the other shortcomings. Yeah, that seems to be the issue, no matter what, um, you know, which all the Congress members of Congress have spoken with, it's uh, sort of happens to be a challenge for everyone. Let me ask you this before I change topics. In terms of the reopening of the economy and the, the different slow uh, approaches that are being discussed right now, how do you feel about that? First and foremost, we need to listen to the healthcare experts. Okay. We're in uncharted waters, and there is no vaccine for this, uh, this COVID-19, this virus. Right. And the, the experts tell us it's 12 months plus or minus before we'll get one and before you can even manufacture it in the numbers that will uh, allow us to control it in a way that we do the flu. So the healthcare experts, the, 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 the doctors, I think are who we need to take the lead from. Secondly, yes, we do need to, to get our economy going. We do need to reopen, um, uh, you know, uh, the um, efforts to allow people to go back to work. However, I think we need to look at this. Uh, it's not a light switch that you turn it on and off. Right. But I think you look at it as a real step where you slowly turn up the light and you do that based upon evidence of where the virus is and where you believe you have it under control. And so I think, you know, whether it be within regions of California or a state by state basis, or in the case of a number of uh, states uh, on a regional basis, Washington, Oregon, and California, New York, uh, New Jersey, uh, and Connecticut, I think that uh, that's how we're going to reopen the economy and get people back to work if we do it smartly. Uh, I think the consequences if we do not do it smartly is a reoccurrence uh, of this coming back uh, later this year that could be far worse than what we're dealing with today. Absolutely. Well said, Congressman. 
You're listening to The Blunt Post with Vic. I'm your host, Vic Durami, and my interview with Congressman Jim Costa. If I may uh, change topics for a second, because I, I know that you've, uh, this has been a very special thing for you, the 105th anniversary of the Armenian Genocide, but it's the first anniversary since both the House and the Senate uh, passed the Armenian Genocide Resolution Act, uh, for which you were a supporter. So I just want to... And a your principal pers- co-sponsor. In a co-sponsor, that's right. So I, I really want to sort of know how that felt for you back in November, December. Well, on April 24th, here in the land of William Saroyan, uh, with so many of the Americans of Armenian descent to, through multiple generations, have come to settle on and call this valley their home. Uh, I have been honored and privileged to, to represent them and, and to um, remember uh, the anniversary of the first genocide that took place in the 20th century. Right. And every April 24th, we remember never to forget to honor those martyrs and their families and to do everything we can to ensure that we do what we can to um, try to prevent genocides from occurring in the future. I was honored after 16 years of Congress last year to finally successfully see that we were able to pass a recognition of the Armenian Genocide in the House of Representatives on a bipartisan basis as well as in the United States Senate. Uh, Sadly, uh, because of pressure, I believe, from Turkey, the president was unwilling to sign it. But the fact that Congress last year officially went on record in October of recognizing the Armenian genocide, I think, was an important uh, milestone. Absolutely. Um, Congressman, before I let you go, is there any uh, call to action uh, or in a message for not just your constituents, but Americans um, you want to leave us with? Anything you want yes. to say? As we reflect upon the 105th uh, remembrance of the Armenian Genocide, man's inhumanity to mankind, uh, we find ourselves uh, battling another enemy, um, a a virus that uh, knows no boundaries and no nationalities. Uh, And we remember that um, we are at our best in our country, um, in America, when we uh, come together. And so as we we remember the 105th anniversary of the Armenian Genocide, let us not just as Armenian Americans, but as all Americans, dedicate ourselves to working as hard as we possibly can, taking care of one another, to do what's right to ensure that we get through this crisis and we protect the health and safety of all Americans and we deal with the devastating social and economic impacts in a way that allows us to rebuild America and makes us a better country as a result of this this horrific health care crisis. That was beautiful. Um, thank you, Congressman. Uh, also, thank you for your time to uh, talk to me on the Blunt Post with Vic. Uh, good luck with everything. 
Yes, Thank sir. you so much, and keep doing the good work you do, Vic, and uh, we'll keep working on behalf of the people of our valley, of which the Armenian Americans are such an important and significant uh, ethnic group that uh, has made uh, this valley and this country uh, the great nation we are. Thank you, Congressman. Uh, you know, growing up with the, Arm- with the Abrahamians and the Kazarians and yeah. the Kalijians, uh, I may be an Odar, but I got accepted a long time ago. Oh, you're an honorary. Honorary. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Yeah. Thank All you. All right. Thank good, you. Good luck tomorrow. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye. That was Congressman Jim Costa from California San Joaquin Valley, which includes Fresno. Uh, thank you, Congressman. Coming up, I will be highlighting an organization and its benevolence during COVID-19. So we'll be right back.
Blunt Post with Vic. So as those of you who have listened to my show know that I like to feature an organization, a charity, a company, or even an individual that does great work in the community, giving back and such. So today I wanted to focus on uh, some of the bigger companies and what they're doing for COVID-19 and to give back to the communities uh, that they're in. So I went through um, multiple sources and lists and, and articles, and I came across Lenovo, the computer maker, which I've always known that they make some of the best computers in the world. But as I was reading the way the Lenovo Foundation has given out over $12 million to COVID-19-related causes and other organizations, I was very impressed, and they stood out. So I wanted to highlight them because it's important to highlight uh, corporations that do really great work as well. And Lenovo certainly stands out. From the 12 plus million they've given out so far, 2.4 million is in hardware donations support for distance learning in North America or distance learning education in North America. You can read more about uh, what they're doing and all the different causes and organizations they're supporting uh, on their website uh, or you can Google them. But I wanted to, you know, I was very impressed with their detailed and comprehensive aid and uh, wanted to highlight them and acknowledge that. So if you want to learn more, you can go to their website, which is Lenovo.com, or that's L-E-N-O-V-O.com. My quote today comes from the great late Nelson Mandela. He said, A critical, independent, and investigative press is the lifeblood of any democracy. The press must be free from state interference. It must have the economic strength to stand up to the blandishments of government officials. It must have sufficient independence from vested interests to be bold and inquiring without fear or favor. It must enjoy the protection of the Constitution so that it can protect our rights as citizens. If you have a question or a comment that you'd like me to answer or just read on the show, uh, you can send that to me via email. Uh, And my email address is vic at thebluntpost.com. That's vic at thebluntpost.com. Well, before we go, I'd like to thank my extremely brilliant and talented producer, Ricky Herrera, and you, of course, for joining me today for another episode of The Blunt Post with Vic. Tune in next Monday at 7 a.m. for a new episode and a new interview. For more information, please visit thebluntpost.com, and you can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter, both at Vic Jarami, at V-I-C- G-E-R-A-M-I. Have a safe, healthy, and successful week. Well, today I'm going to let you listen to uh, the great Hollywood Holland's latest single, A Journey Alone. It's a, it's a really good song about, as you can imagine, Journey Alone from the same singer that gave us Ladies Night and Countdown last year. Uh, I give you Hollywood Holland. 
the blunt post with vic